What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally, and all of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for additional savings, high-quality third-party tested supplements, tons of different protein flavors, every type of protein you can think of. So if you can't do whey, then you might be able to do beef or egg or uh, pea protein isolate, true pea isolate, which has like very little carbs. Uh, check them out. And use our code THING for additional savings uh, and supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. If you're in the, if you're, excuse me, if you're in Canada, check them out. They've got great deals that change week to week. Also, check this out, Scott, if I can find it real quick here. Oh, man, where'd it go? I just had it out the other day. You gave me one of your B, uh, one of your business cards for BYOBCoach.com. Yeah, I just had it here for, there it is. Scott's book. We got this. You gave this to me at the Olympia in 2018, I think it was. Byobbcoach.com. That's where you can get Scott's book, and you can get the hardcover from Amazon. I'll be sure to put links into that, all that stuff below after we're done recording here. Uh, Scott, you've got a study today that you said is going to be like at this point. It's a new study, and it's already in your top five favorite studies. I think it's going to be. Yeah. By the way, I need to take one of those cards and put it on my forehead during all podcasts, I think. Just leave it's it just there? Like, like, yeah. I'll just do that for <laughs> oh, you. Oh, <laughs> I like that. That's nice. It stays. Yes, I'm sweaty, um, enough. I'm sweaty enough that that works. Yeah. yeah. So so the, the, the question is we've got, and if you look through the responder, non-responder literature, I think that term first kind of came into the common nomenclature of bodybuilding with creatine. Like, are you a creatine responder? Are you a non-responder? You know, is it just genetics? Is it your diet? Like, vegetarians like would respond crazy to creatine supplementation because they're not producing. And then you talk about um, people being, are they entirely non-responders or are they just non-responders to some forms of exercise? So you could be like a non, there are people who are non-responders to endurance training. They don't, they don't have any increase in maximal oxygen consumption. Um, you have people who are non-responders in terms of strength, but they get some muscle growth and vice versa. Um, and, we're, of course, worried about muscle growth. So the, the question is, like, if you're a non-responder in terms of muscle growth, um, what can you do about that, right? And so that's that's sort of the real hard gainer situation where someone actually is truly a hard gainer. Like that term, I, that term was around 40 years ago when I, when I started training. Yeah. Like hard gainer. It's always been around. And there's truth to it. There really is. We've seen that in some of the other, other studies um, that we talked about here. So this is a study where they basically um, they looked at a phenomenon, which has been one that's been talked about now for quite a long while, looking at gains that come from doing high rep training versus low rep training, right? And as kind of backdrop to this, um, one of the things that I included in fortitude training was both was were different set types. So right. you've got muscle rounds, those are cluster sets. You've got loading sets, which are high, heavy training, low rep training, and you've got pump sets, which are high rep training, and that also take advantage of things like, like training at lengthened positions, doing partials at training lengthened positions or something you can totally do with a, a pump set. So pump sets were high rep training and some of these other things you can add in all at once, focusing on the mind-muscle connection. So those three big kind of buzzwords all fit in. So in this study, um, this was with elderly women, postmenopausal women, uh, they had, which can, who can gain muscle, they just train the lower body. And if you want to throw up that um, that figure I sent you in text, sure um, thing. We can just start with that. All right. So, whoops. So a little bit bigger. There we go. Something like so that. So what we see here um, in 
uh, in these two graphs are the results in terms of thigh lean um, body mass. So it's just okay. in the thigh, the entire thigh. So they did, um, you can see in the upper right, I kind of broke down the program. They trained three times a week for 12 weeks um, with either a high rep regime or a high, uh, a, a low load, high rep regime. That's in the upper left. So low load was between like 27 and 31 reps per set. And the, the high load was eight to 12. So heavy or light. So basically okay. sort of Widowmaker style um, or pretty heavy training. And so it was just randomly, um, and they were training both legs. This is not a one-legged study like some of the other studies have been, which are also very, very cool. And um, so they, they warmed their, worked their way up over the course of the first couple of weeks. Eventually, for the, the last uh, 10 weeks of the 12-week tra training period, they were doing three sets, the second or third, basically, the um, momentary muscular failure. Once they exceeded the rep range, they would increase the weight. Okay. Right. And, and there's some other interesting data that we can maybe talk about um, regarding how much the progress and that sort of thing. But I want to kind of keep this simple now because this is just this is a big enough uh, piece, I think, just to uh, just to cover for today. So what they found, as you almost always find or pretty much everything in, in, in nature follows this sort of bell curve phenomenon that you had some people responded better and some people responded not so well in both cases to the high rep regime and the low rep regime to light training or heavy training. Mm -hmm. And uh, what they then did with everyone. So you were there either in the high rep or the low rep for the first 12 weeks, and then they switched them over. So they changed regimes, right? Mm. So they crossed over to the other. If they were high rep, they went to low rep. If they were low and low rep, low rep, they went to high rep. And so what we see here on the left are the is are two data points for each subject. So normally, if I were doing a, uh, um, a PowerPoint, I would kind of swipe these. But if you look on the left side there, um, mm -hmm. up above, it says totally body mass high responders at twelfth week. Yeah. So these are ones who made greater than a three percent gain. So you see all those dots on the left side of the left curve are up above three percent. Yep. That's those were the, the responders, so to speak, the ones who grew the best. Okay. And then when they switched over, that's the, the, the set of points to the right on that leftmost graph. Um, you see, in general, the law of diminishing returns applying here. Hmm. So if you made really good gains initially, those gains slow down. Yeah. So look at the upper tip top left. There's someone who gained 13 percent lean body mass. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, and yeah. And they were in a. Uh, if I'm that was in a, they were in a high rep because it's a black, a filled in black dot, not a gray dot. Okay. So the gray dot is the low reps, which I see. Yep. Okay. The key in the right upper right hand corner there. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Low so reps to that high upper reps. Black, versus... It's kind of the dots kind of cut off. It was like that in the, in the picture when I copied, but that person made great gains on the, on the high rep. And then they slowed when they switched the low, low reps. So they were 13 plus percent increase. And then they were, just above three percent so they were still a good responder but nothing yeah. like before now if we if we scroll down to the next highest point on the left of the leftmost graph that's a low there's two people who are kind of clustered there together yeah there's two um low load to high load data points there so they made like 10 and a half and a little over 11 percent and the one person basically if you follow their data point um low load to high load uh, they 
didn't make any gains. He was like 0.5%, right? Mm, okay. There was another person, the one who did really, really well, um, 10.5% when they started with low load. When they went to high load, they actually lost size. They lost muscle mass, hmm. right? So like the first thing there is um, one lesson that could be taken from those folks is they were doing really, really well, and then they program hopped, so to speak. They changed in one case from a high load to low load, in the other two cases from a low to high load, and they didn't do as well. So that can be law of diminishing returns. I suspect that may have been at play, for instance, with the with the highest responder, that high load to low load at the very tip top, okay. um, who went from 13 down to three. But for instance, that person who went from 10 and a half, the third down there who went from low load to high load, they made gains initially, and when they switched to high load, they lost size, hmm. right? Yeah. So you don't know where you're going to be, right? So um, these are the high, these, but those, everyone in that left group are all the high responders. Those are all ones who did really, really well. Okay. And overall, if you average them out, there's a couple that ended up, you know, close to zero. Like there's three or one, two, three, four, it's about five. Averaged out, they still made some gains in the second half. So those second sets of data points are still on the plus side on average, but it's huge. Variability. When you say the second set of data points, which ones are you talking about there? To the right on the leftmost graph. So okay, so we're still on the left graph, side the and you're looking graph. at the yep. right side of that. Okay, that's what I thought, yep. but I just wanted exactly. to make sure. Yeah, so that's, what's that's, up? Go ahead. What's up with that? It, let's see. It's one, two, three, four. The fifth one down that went from low low, low to high load. To high load. Oh my yep. god, they're the only person you can see right. if you if you count guys that fifth one down. It's the only person going the other direction. That's what I was going to say next. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that person, they did and that and they did pretty dang well. They were they were they were 6 over 6%. They 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 were better than um all but four. They're pretty much equivalent to that fourth person um with in their case, low load initially, and then when they switched to high load, that's that was the money right there, wow. baby. That's when they started. So they probably, on average, I think they ended up pretty close to being as good as anyone. Maybe that that super high outlier at the very tip top, the first twelve weeks, yeah. drop down. If you average those two together, they might have been close to about the same percentage increase. Wow, that's wow. It's like the very, that's, that's the thing. If you look at these individual data points, you see what personal trainers see. You see why we have so many people that say HIT is the way to go. And some people say volume training is the way to go yeah. because it, it both are true. Then hmm. on the person, <laughs> higher ups are the way to go. Lower ups are the way to go. Yeah. Both are true depending on the person. Right. So like just those data points are just phenomenal. You look at them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but we know, of course, we're, we're expecting to see lower values in that second 12 week period because of the law of diminishing returns. You take off initially, you grow better when you start. And then when, as you continue along, even if you didn't change your program, you're expecting that you're not going to gain at the same rate as you did initially. Yeah. If you're kind of, unless you add in, you know, something crazy or you change your stimulus. So um, the interesting thing they, they could have done, this could be another study. Um, is, and they, they didn't do this, is leave some of those, leave those individuals for the next 12 week with the same rep range. Hmm. Okay. So leave some, you know, leave the, leave some with low reps for the second 12 weeks, leave some with high reps. You only have so many subjects, so they can't do every combination. Yeah. But that would be interesting to see 
because we have a law of diminishing returns here, which means, as I said, you'd expect l lesser gains the second 12 weeks than the first 12 weeks. But it makes me wonder when we, we're going to look at this next graph, mm -hmm. if that law of diminishing returns that that reduced return on investment in those mm -hmm. second 12 weeks was somewhat offset by having changed their program, at least for some people. Now, that person that you mentioned, that was mm -hmm. not the case. They yeah. did better in the second 12 weeks when they changed from low load to high load. So we know that was the case for some I gotta, people. Go ahead. Just a, a quick question. I'll bring yeah. this back up. So uh, since you're somebody who, you know, when you've been in school, you've done a bunch of studies yourself. Um, there's going to be some factors that you can't quite account for, right? Because like everybody's individual. Now, how often is it that, what, is it possible? And, and I'm just saying, you know, I'm looking for how something could possibly affect things that we aren't seeing here. Is it possible that that person or who had that, that dramatic change, maybe they got more plugged in and they started eating better or like, cause that obviously would make a difference. Or are they told in situations like this generally, like keep doing everything you do at home, don't change your diet, you know, stuff like that. How does that usually go in a, in a study? They're told to do that, but even if you do dietary recall with people, those are notoriously poor. Okay, okay. You know, people don't do a very good job. Like when they when they have people, they've done studies where they take pictures, you know, and then have them, which does help to get yeah. people to report more accurately, but people are notoriously bad about that. So, um, like I remember seeing uh, um, a study uh, once where it was way back in the creatine days, and it was a guy who was presenting – before people really kind of knew that this was the nineties that creatine was, you know, something that, that could potentially be helpful. And he had a uh, subject to, when he got in the study, decided that he was going to eat a bunch of steak, Okay. whatever. And he started eating like massive amounts of steak. Yeah. So he got a lot more creatine, of course, a lot more protein too. And this, this guy was the extreme responder in his study. So he mentioned that um, I had a guy in my study and he told me this afterwards. And it's one of those things like he revealed it to me. But I don't know that everyone else didn't do that too. Who knows? Yeah. These things, you can't always get, you, you just can't gather all the info. But when he started the study, and this guy was, he was so, he so loved bodybuilding. He was, like he came in and like, I'm like, dude, we got to get you on here and get you training because he would just ask me questions for hours. Really. Okay. Yeah. But he went to, um, started going to Smoothie King. And okay. every day he was drinking like a Hulk. Like the biggest one they have, you know, with like three extra protein shakes. Yeah. And he was the greatest. He, he, he grew in both legs, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm like, dude, I did. I, you weren't supposed to do that. He told me about it afterwards. He came in like one time. He's like, okay, I mean, nothing to do about it. You just, you do your best, but there's these uncontrollable factors. Okay. I was yep. just wondering how, yeah. how that was dealt with in studies in general. And that makes sense, man, because I'll tell you what, when I start exercising, I, I get into it. You know what I mean? And it's like, I think that the exercise is where everything starts for most people. We don't all wake up and be like, hey, you know what? I want to be a bodybuilder, so I'm going to start eating chicken six times a day. What do you do? You're yeah. like, I want to be a bodybuilder. I want to look good. So you go in the gym and you start lifting weights. And then it mm -hmm. it kind of snowballs from there. So I'll, I'll, blow this, I'll blow the graph back up here for you. No, we can talk <laughs> about this for a while because it's important. Like it happens okay. with, with general health behaviors. People stop smoking. And uh -huh. then they take on other health behaviors along with that. Yes. Because there's a there's a cognitive dissonance with I stopping smoking, I'm paying attention to my health. If I'm gonna keep that going, I'm not gonna just keep eating McDonald's. Yeah. I'm gonna start I'm gonna go all in to some degree so that my uh, there's continuity in my thought process throughout the day. Yeah. I'm not like 
I don't stop smoking and just keep drinking like a fiend. Yeah. Right? People tend to do all those things coherently all at once to some degree. So, yeah. yeah. The, the other thing that, um, you know, is a very strong possibility is some people just like to train heavy. Some people like training lighter. And that's, you know, bodybuilders, they, they like that because they, maybe they grow better that way or what have you. But, but there's a different kind of, of perception of effort with uh, high rep versus low rep training. Yeah. So that person might have gone like the one who did better in the second 12 weeks. Yeah. They went from low load to high load. It may have been like, wow, I'm so glad that I don't have to do these 30 rep sets anymore. This is so much easier. I'm going to yeah. just, I can handle this. I'll just yeah. go to town. They're, right. they're doing leg presses. Knee extensions, leg presses, hamstring curls, and calf presses. It's in the when we show the graph, it's in the upper right. Okay. They're doing leg 30 set 30 rep sets of leg presses. Dang. That's brutal. Yeah. It's really brutal. And the second and the third were to failure. Right? Okay. When they yeah. when they were beating the rep ranges, they would stay in the rep range the first one and the next next two they're gonna go to they went to failure. When they were getting beyond thirty, so they're like people are probably getting thirty five. Uh huh. Those are rough, you know. Oh, so yeah. it's, it's a total psychological relief. Their training motivation will def- definitely vary depending on the person, whether you're high rep or low rep, low load yeah. or high load. Yeah, that makes out. sense. So, yeah, so that's one of the factors. This is not just purely a physiological phenomenon that the muscle grows necessarily better because of the rep range per huh. se. It can very much be a psychological phenomenon, thus a neurological in terms of your effort levels. And the stimulus is varies in terms of effective reps how close to failure you're willing to go like you got five reps that are just brutal when you're doing a 30 rep set if you're going to true failure where the weight stops moving yeah how you don't normally see that on a on a high rep set where literally someone just keeps grinding until literally the weight just starts to come back and okay they're done uh-uh but you can it's, do that on a set of nine or ten right right and you're right. done that's it yeah, you hit failure so much faster. It's a, it's yeah. a, and I've told people that I see people that they're they're going to failure and they're only doing like six or seven reps. Guys that need to work on their intensity. And I've said, hey, it, why don't we take this to ten reps? Because they, you know if they're failing at five, you get that fourth rep, and when you fail on five, you're just buried. It's just okay. I'm done because you mm-hmm. literally can't get any more. Yeah. But if you fail at twelve, now like rep seven's getting harder eight's getting even harder nine is really hard 10 is even harder than that but you still can keep grinding through them you're not just mm-hmm. like buried by the overload of it all you know yeah yeah it's this like it's like you're gonna pull the band-aid off slowly you're gonna rip it off <laughs> yeah, right? yeah exactly yeah like that so yeah all so all those things you're that's a great question all those things apply we don't know exactly what was going on mechanistically in terms of why on an individual basis things were different in the first half versus the second half for these okay. individuals. Yeah, but we yeah. do see these things that it varies. We see probably law of diminishing returns. We see variable responses to high reps versus low reps. And overall, because now we've just looked at the quote-unquote responders or the, the high responders versus the low responders, yeah. that we have that phenomenon as well. So let's go back, and now okay. we'll look at the right graph on the right side. All right. So... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me see my ugly. Yeah, that's that's perfect actually because you can still read it. That's as big as it gets. So, so if you look on this right side graph, here we see on the left, the leftmost points. Those are the pre to twelfth week. So the first twelve weeks of training, mm-hmm. we have the same situation where some people were high load to low load, others were low to high load. But those are all the low responders. So you see all of those points 
are below 3% change in thigh lean body mass. So there's a couple, there's one person is like right at zero. Okay. That's a high load to low load person. That person is, is basically your non-responder. Yeah. They didn't make any gains initially with high load and they switched to low load and they still didn't make any gains. Hmm. So that's, that's just like, okay, you lost the lottery, man. Like you're, you're just <laughs> completely SOL, yeah. right? But here's the cool thing. Look at what happened to everybody else. All the low responders, except for that one exception. This is what's kind of cool because there's always an exception to the rule. And that's, we have, we see one there. They had mm -hmm. enough subjects so you could see that visibly when you plotted them all out. Yeah. Everyone else went from low to high. And most of them were above that 3% cutoff. So okay. everyone, when they switch to either high load to low load or low load to high load, it's mixed pretty evenly. It wasn't like, oh, going from high load to low load produces better gains necessarily. It was low load to high load or high load to low load. It huh. didn't matter. Huh. When they switch, these quote unquote low responders, non-responders, the vast majority of them, all but one in this particular study, made better gains during the next 12 weeks of training. That goes against this law of diminishing returns. Yeah. So what this tells us, and this is what's so cool for the quote unquote, the hard gainers, the non-responders, is that um, look for something. If you're not making good gains and you've got all your I's dotted and your T's crossed, you're not program hopping saying, ah, that wasn't good enough. If it's still working, keep at it. Like mm. don't broke, break, don't fix something that's not broken. Yeah. Right. You'll end up like what, what, what typically you might see what happened in the leftmost graph is not with the exception of one person. Everyone um, made lesser gains to some degree. It's, mm, it was highly like variable. Changing. So keep with it to some degree is, is sort of the first rule of thumb. Okay. But in this case, they changed fairly dramatically from 30 reps to about 10 reps on average. It huh. was a substantial change in low. They were using like 30% or 80%. Okay. That's a that's a dramatic change. So you wouldn't expect this phenomenon to happen if you're going from eight reps to twelve reps that's necessarily. Okay. There's value in that if for instance, like once you get below ten reps, you, your joints start to really bother you, what have you. But this this case, what we saw is that all these low responders, with the one exception, did better the next twelve weeks of training. Hmm. And a, the majority of them, it looks like if I count the numbers here, meaning more than half of them actually ended up above that that low responder cutoff, that low high responder cutoff of 3% in this particular study. Hmm. So the low responders, many of them became high responders, and all of all but one became responders to some degree. Okay. And two of them, on the, look on the left, again, the rightmost graph here, there are two of them were, that were at low load, in this case, that were technically negative. I mean, they're so close to zero, like the ones at one and a half percent. So that was probably, you know, some loss there. But those both ended up at two or three percent. So they at least made some some gain. Yeah. It didn't turn them into hyper responders. But we do have a couple people there who were at three percent. The They were just below that low, low, high load cutoff. Mm -hmm. Look, they were just below three percent and they ended up around nine percent. Yeah, And in this case, interestingly enough, like these data are like really kind of nice. One of those was a high load to low load and the other was a low load to high load. So, right? so the, what you're saying is, is that it's not as much the load as much as just sticking with it. Well, it's in this case, 
these were generally non low responders. Right. And they looked to do something different to make a change. Okay. And and those two individuals I just mentioned, they had they went from low responders to high responders. But it wasn't that that happens when you go from low load to high load. Because okay. one of them went from low load to high load, and the other one went from high load to low load. So it was so just making the change itself. It was just making the change. So the big big picture message there is a low responder. And this is twelve. This wasn't like a four week study. This yeah. Is what's kind of not? These weren't four week periods. They went for twelve weeks. That's a solid three months, right? Yeah. And then they switched over, and we see that all the low responders, with one exception, became responders, and many of them, quote unquote, high responders for the definition of this particular study, when they switched to a substantially different program, which we know is effective for muscle growth. They didn't say, I'm going to do 100 rep sets, right? Yeah. Which could be effective too. They went from high load to low load or low load to high road. And we know, you know from numerous studies now, this being one of them, on average, the gains for low load and high load were the same. Yeah. Right? The averages were the same. But what we did was made low responders into responders by hmm. by switching, making a substantial shift in this case in the rep range and the load, the training loads that were used, the relative training loads. And I think that's just awesome. That's just like if you're pretty sure, you know, I'm not making the gains that I would like to be making that maybe the average person would. And after 12 weeks, that's pretty, you know, that's a solid period of time. That's that's, I think, considerable. It's like, OK. Let's try something different. Yeah. Train hard. They kept the number of sets the same. So the, the volume can change a little bit because your, your workload changes when you go from heavier to, to lighter like, like that or, or vice versa. But they kept everything the same and they changed one variable, the load. Mm. They kept going to failure in the second and third set. Um, so all they did was change that one thing, same exercises, nothing else. Changed. They didn't completely like, okay, let's do everything different now. New exercise, everything else. Yeah. They did this very systematically, which is what you do in studies, so you can isolate to the extent possible the condition that led to the the results that they found. We don't know to what extent it was like um, that these these people did uh, they like training in a different way, but I would I would say that because we don't have any clear pattern that people who switched from low load to high load did better. It wasn't that wasn't the case. It was it went both directions. It was yeah. simply something about changing the stimulus. In this case, we can kind of say something about changing the nature of the training led to something that defied this law of diminishing returns and produced adaptation in those who previously hadn't had adaptation to the extent that one would hope. They were the, the bottom half of the barrel. They were the left side of the bell curve below the 50th percentile. Hmm. So I think this is just like awesome. This is really, really cool to see this delineated. And the reason I, I say that so much with such um, enthusiasm is the, the, the point that I, I mentioned many times, I think on this podcast and other podcasts, is that the, the goal of studies where you're looking at means and standard deviations and group averages is to determine whether if you see a statistical difference between two groups – whether you can generalize that to the public. So if you see strong enough difference statistically, analysis of variance or whatever, however you choose to do this, that means, yeah, we can typically expect in most everyone this is going to happen. Okay. Right? Yeah. And what matters to you, the individual, 
or the personal trainers who's trying to take this information isn't necessarily what happens to the average person or someone else. It's what would happen to you. Hmm. And when you do studies like this that are looking, that plot the individual data and see the individual responses, we see that, that the variability on an individual basis is so large that generalizing to say that high reps and low reps, low reps produce the same muscle growth. Like that's what, what you can say. That's the conclusion from numerous studies comparing low and high load. You read that. I could probably go and pull the abstracts and you, that's what you're going to find. But you look at these data and you say, for those people who made better gains the second 12 weeks in this study, when they went from low load to high load to high load, low load, it absolutely made a heck of a difference which way they train yeah. tremendously. So that's that's an untruth for the individual to say that those two things are equivalent stimuli because they're not. It's it's context dependent um, and it's dependent upon the individual. Yeah. So so this is just really, really phenomenal. This is this is science that I think is more directly applicable to the trainer who wants to know, like, OK, I got these people who just aren't growing and I want to keep them as clients and I want them to progress. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? It's like, OK, well, let's. Let's change it up. We'll keep everything the same. We'll just change this. And boom, what happens? So I would say that, and like you yeah. said, too, 12 weeks is a really good amount of time if you're not mm-hmm. seeing progress in 12 weeks. So so we could we could take this and apply it to let's take a guy who's watching right now. And for the last year, we'll even say, because a lot of times we go longer than 12 weeks and we just keep doing what we've always done. We've always trained mm-hmm. eight to 12. Right. That's like what people Mm -hmm. generally do you know are you saying then that something for him might be not even change the split but just change that rep range for you know the next 12 weeks and see if that does anything yeah absolutely you'd have to be in a a practical world i mean they went for 12 weeks that we don't know for instance they made measurements before and after yeah sometimes there's a phenomenon there's a studies that have looked at this where you start making gains and then if you keep going, you literally can go into an overtraining phase where mm. let's say you made a 10% gain, you peaked at 10% above your baseline, mm-hmm. you know, eight weeks in. And then after that, you started, you started overtraining the last four weeks, you actually lost yeah. 4%. So instead of being at 10%, now you're at 6%. So it's, it's, it's smart to auto-regulate to some degree mm. in this case for some individuals, if they just simply switch, swap set for set, going with the higher reps, they may find their nervous system is just like, oh, okay, this is too much. Yeah. So they may need to go from three sets down to two um, just because you want to apply the rule and have some systematic control over it, I think, because you change everything up and then you don't know what worked. Yeah. But you also want to use common sense and say, okay, I'm four weeks into this. Uh-huh. There's just no way this can't work because it's way too much. Yeah. Right. It's just not going to happen. I can't, I'm not going to be able to do three sets of 30 reps on the leg press and do the last two to true failure. And expect that I'm going to keep this up. It's just not going to happen. They were doing this. They were doing this three times a week. This this workout regime. These yeah. are newbies. Right. These are these are elderly women, too. So it's a different population. So you got to apply some little common sense to auto regulate it. But absolutely what you said is is a really, really smart way to know okay wow i think i've got something here in changing my my rep scheme to suit what i grow how i grow best yeah um 
and the, the, the question that still is somewhat re remaining um, is whether it was if there was something about so they didn't they didn't do we don't know for sure for the, an individual basis whether that those first 12 weeks had an impact on why the second 12 weeks were were better for the most part so was it was it simply changing the stimulus in some way was did the first 12 weeks set up for the second 12 weeks for yeah. those, those those low those low responders i don't know but we, we've got basically something that speaks really strongly to at least changing things up on a regular basis. So, like, one thing you can do, like, I always kind of suggest you can do DC training, you can do Fortitude training, you can do Meadows training. And those mm -hmm. are those could each be, you know, two to three months at a run, you know? Yeah. And people find out which of those they grow best from. Um, I've always kind of wondered, for instance, a lot of people will do, like, DC training and then John's training, right? Okay. DC this so many times from people who've done who'd come to me having done those two before they did fortitude training for instance yeah now i get a mix but and they're like dc training got me strong and then i was strong when i could do meadows training which that and makes I got sense out of it. yeah which made sense but then you go back after you've done meadows training you go back and you do Widowmakers and like because <laughs> i've been used to doing john stuff you know yeah all these yeah. challenge sets and stuff in the higher volume so there's an interplay, you know, there's, and this is what periodization is all about, you know, setting yourself up for the next phase in some way. Yeah. Um, and this is what I built into fortitude training with the different set types sort of built in within the system. The loading sets make you stronger for the pump sets and the pump sets give you better endurance for the loading sets. Right? Yes. Yeah. I got, I, we've got a question here. Um, see if I can find it from health, wealth and life related to this. He says, uh, isn't this time under tension also, Scott? What what element does time under tension play in uh, the the way that this study was set up? Um, it, there there is a difference. Those that's basically we talked about. I think we called it effective time under tension. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. That's such a good so, term. It is. It is. So this relates back to to several things. Um, there's God. There's so much there to kind of unpack. So. When you're doing a high rep set, um, depending on the person it and how close to failure they can bring themselves, the time under tension is going to be greater. I mean, you pick up the, the sets are simply going to be longer. So there's tension right after you pick up the weight. But those lower load, uh, lower loads, the tension isn't nearly as high. Mm -hmm. And you're going to spend more time during that set, which maybe isn't effective. How far are you willing to take the set is going to be dependent upon the person. So, and, and to what extent those reps at the end of the set, that are the quote unquote effective is going to depend on the person. So mm -hmm. let's say two people who for whatever reason are psychologically the same, their makeup is the same. So they relative to their capabilities, they both push the set to the same relative true momentary muscular failure. They're equally motivated. And maybe if their life depends on, they could both get, Three more reps, but they go and they get twenty-seven instead of thirty. It could be for one of those one of those persons for whatever reasons could be m numerous. And I think he mentioned muscle fiber type in there. That could be a, that could be a possibility. Yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of literature showing, yeah, that higher rep training can can be better for the type one fibers and vice versa. But it, it could could very well be for those identi somewhat identical twenty-seven rep sets to failure for each of them. 
that only the last three reps are effective that have any impact. We can sort of lump it into that effective rep bucket mm-hmm. for one of those people. And for the other guy, you know, he, he's getting six or seven effective reps out of it. Okay. On the other hand, it could be that one person's, you know, 27 reps is a true failure. And the other person had five more reps in the tank. So yeah. the other person gets a lot more effective reps out of it simply for that reason. And both combinations of things. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. This is good. I, I like this study too. And it's easy to, it's easy for us to grasp, cool. you know? Yeah. Uh, we did have a few listener questions here, guys. Yeah. And if we, everybody watching, we've got uh, we've got about fifty people watching right now. If you guys want to ask awesome. any questions, feel free to comment them. I'm uh, I I highlighted a couple, so I'm going to go back and look at those right now. But we can definitely take some more. So guys, start posting them up. And thank you for watching live. And by the way, if you're not subscribed and you haven't hit the bell, then do that. A lot of you guys probably did hit the bell because that's how Mm. you knew that we were going live. This wasn't planned. We just decided last minute, hey, let's go do this at YouTube live today. Um, On the edge. Tanja had one. Uh, She says, uh, I'm doing my first competition in October, finally after a decade of training. Trying to do it by myself. Oh, it was just a nice, a nice comment. Um, uh, just with your book, be your own bodybuilding coach. Such a helpful, great book, worth every penny. Awesome. I I thought it was a good comment, so I, I highlighted it to bring it back up. I didn't realize it wasn't. I love a question. it. I love it. That's I get cool. Comments that makes my day every time I get someone who's done that. Just congratulations. Heck yeah! We Thanks had another guy, uh, and, and he's here from Michigan. He messaged me the other day. And uh, I meant to send it to you, actually. But he said he just bought your book, and he's getting ready for the Great Lakes Ironman in five weeks. And, and he said after that, I wanted to hire a coach. And he said, Scott, to me, I, I would reach out to you. I'd like to work with you, seeing how this thing goes for, you know, to take it up a notch and probably do a national show, I'm thinking. But, um, okay, cool. You know, but he started out, and he's using your book right now, and he, 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 he found it very valuable. Uh, let's see. Sweet. So we had a gear question. We'll pull that one up in a minute. And we've got Gambone Law. He asks, uh, great show. Thoughts on vitamins for recovery, preserving muscle. Upped my cardio 280 minutes per week. Hit, list, row, ski, bike. Following a four-day full body, 10 to 12 reps. Uh, I know it's a lot of cardio, and he's not chasing mass. Mm -hmm. So... If he's talking about in, in vitamin infusions, people are doing a lot of that. We've talked a lot about like vitamin C, vitamin E, antioxidants, mm-hmm. um, and those those will diminish the free radical aspect of the stimulus of exercise. So, for instance, when it comes to cardio, um, if you do like what the studies have typically done, like I think 800 IU's of vitamin E, a thousand milligrams of vitamin C, and it'll be taken around a cardio workout, you'll you'll prevent the insulin sensitivity that is a normal consequence of that type of aerobic training and you'll prevent the mitochondrial biogenesis. So the aerobic adaptations in the skeletal muscle, at least, I don't know about cardiac muscle. It's probably been done like with an animal model, but at least I wouldn't be surprised if if also in cardiac muscle, maybe lesser extent cardiac muscle. So, so um, resilient, but you will prevent, you can prevent the aerobic adaptations in skeletal muscle um, with, mega dosing of those vitamins so if you're like a wake up in the morning i do my one gram of vitamin c and i do my vitamin e and then i go do my morning cardio you could be totally blunting that those aerobic adaptations so the idea from in his context there i know he's not chasing mass because he knows there's there's a interference effect potentially between aerobic and, and strength training yeah but 
ideally you your aerobic training would then um, make it such that you can expend more calories at a lower intensity, a lower effort because you get trained. So X speed on the treadmill or on the on the bike becomes easier once you get trained and then you can just kind of cruise along. It's left lesser effort, lesser interference with your strength and your muscle gains if you're going to get any in the gym. But if you blunt those aerobic adaptations, then you're still have to you're you're not getting that adaptation, so your cardio doesn't become easier because you don't get trained, mm. right? And you can also potentially blunt the the hypertrophy as well at the same time. Yeah. And also, if let's say for legs, most most cardio is leg based. If it's nice to have those aerobic cardiovascular adaptations for leg training in the gym, so so that you can if you're doing a widowmaker, if someone going back to our first study who benefits from doing higher rep leg training. Yeah. As far as muscle growth, you can crank out those effective reps because you've you've reaped those endurance benefits from the cardiovascular training. You you don't get gassed out doing your leg training, but if yeah. you're using high dose vitamin C, vitamin E, you could basically be shooting yourself in the foot altogether. So you could be missing out on a whole bunch of stuff. Hmm. Um, that's presuming the vitamin C, vitamin E story, which isn't isn't far fetched. There's a, one gram vitamin C pills are easy to find. I know oh, yeah. vitamin E, easy to find. Oh, yeah. So. What about uh, solvents? I don't know if you have any thoughts on this stuff. CV asked us, he said, uh, does Dr. Scott know much about gear solvents, glycol, BA, etc.? Lots of us shooting a fair bit of this stuff, and I worry as it isn't used IM in humans. That's probably a question for vigorous Steve. This is his thing, man. Yeah, he's in fact he's done he's he's done his own like studies basically on himself, you know, where mm -hmm. he's used products and then done his blood work and then seen higher inflammation markers from using, you know, some of these various super solvents as we've yeah. seemed to have termed them lately. Glycol. Yeah. 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 Glycol could yeah. be a really nasty one. EO, I'd put that right up there uh -huh. as well. You know? Yeah. 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 And you don't, the thing is, um, not that I'm suggesting people do it this way, but if, if you, if you know, you can get the powder, the, the actual steroid itself. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's the instructions have been around for decades, you know, um, you can get it from, you know, if you're going underground, you're already, you're already committed to this. Yeah. You can pr you produce your own stuff. And I, I believe you can get like BA, uh, BA, you can get whatever solvent you'd want to use. Yes. Um, online from from online companies that are legit they're not going to sell you bunk bins of alcohol or yeah. whatever and then at least you know right what's going on um yeah unknown would be you know potential contaminants in the steroid powder itself yes yes but you can at least know like because i mean the story that i understand is you know sometimes the case you like i got this stuff like even when i'm using you probably heard this a million times because you talk about you got drugs and stuff you guys talk about this continuously but you got someone who's using the same source and all of a sudden they get a new batch of whatever and it just like cripples them. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. So what happened? Right. Well, you're not in control of that. You don't know yeah. what they did. They may have just run out of BA and they're like, I, you know, I got 15 guys who were waiting on their, their 400 milligram per mil super test or whatever. Right. You know, and like, so they, they just, or they just put some of that in there to fill the orders. So you don't have a clue. Right. And, the thing that's unfortunate is beggars can't be choosers in this case to some degree. Like this is, you know, you, you can't go knocking on doors saying, hey, do you happen to have an extra bottle of testosterone lying around? So you yeah. kind of have to get whatever you can get. And that's a bad place to be in when it comes to your health and what you're injecting into yourself. Because that's a 
it's kind of a one-way street. Once it's in, there's no like, oh, I don't think I want that. I'm gonna can't can't suck it out of the the depot. Yeah, I so. think I I think some of the issues I had uh, years back were due to solvents. Um, I had yeah. I had a brand that I always used, and basically mm-hmm. I had a a pretty good setup where you know, I, I wouldn't say I was a promoter or advertiser of, but it, we'll call me a sponsored athlete, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Okay. And All right. and so basically everything I ran, I wasn't paying for, and I started developing these stomach issues, and. Mm. I think there were a lot of factors, but then I started noticing that about two out of four times, maybe three out of three out of five times when I took a shot, um, I would get almost like the trend cough feeling. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to be trend. It could be any compound, but yeah. three out of five times I'd get kind of like a burning in my throat and I might cough a little bit. And two yeah. hours later, it took me a year to figure this out because then I'd go back to my day, you know, everything is fine. And I'd continue uh-huh. eating, I'd go train, whatever. And then a few hours later, later that day, and it took me a long time to connect it, I would start getting this sharp stomach pain uh, to the point where I went and got uh, I, I got ultrasounds done. I went and got a CT scan on all my organs. Um, yeah. And I think that it was the solvents because it finally dawned mm-hmm. on me later in an off season because my, my, my stomach pain went away post-contest. I'm also mm-hmm. not using as much gear, right? And then as I started pushing up, it made the connection. And I think it had to do with some of the mm-hmm. super solvents in there. So I've I, I've been a fan of just like try to find a good quality product that I trust. And mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, they're going to be consistent. I don't go around to getting this and that and trying different brands. It's like I find one thing that has worked well. And, and I found and this is kind of a side topic, Scott, uh, MCT oil tends to be really good for me. Like my body processes mm-hmm. it really well. Interestingly, mm-hmm. I remember it without a problem, right? You you what? You could drink it without a problem. That's sort of a in a nice sign. MCT oil is, you know. Yeah. 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 And and it tends to be really thin and it, there's very mm-hmm. little pain all of that. So that's kind of been my jam. And just kind of like this is way off topic, but uh, I thought it could be maybe fun to talk about for a minute. Do you remember Scott when we did a podcast about the half-lives of different esters and how they may be very different than the mm-hmm. half-lifes that we see like listed on the message boards and, you mm-hmm. know, in the articles that we see on like steroid boards and stuff Absolutely. like that. Yeah. yeah. So half-lifes can be radically different. Um, like test sip, if I recall, was as possibly as low as like three days for one guy in a study. Wasn't be all it? over the place. Yeah. yeah. Where it's injected, there's, you know, if you go in the delt or the glute, it'll differ. Yeah. If, if you exercise that muscle afterwards, yeah. or you're just sitting on that muscle, let's say like, I don't know, let's say you're, you work for Amazon, right? And you're delivering stuff and you inject your glute and you're getting in and out of your seat all the time. And you're, you got a big step. You always use that leg or maybe avoid using it because it's so sore, but yeah. you're stepping up, you know, so you're constantly using those muscles. That's going to squeeze that depot around. It's, me- it's going to mechanically dissipate it hmm. from, you know, from the muscle where it's been injected, which is one way you can get out of there. The thing I was going to say that's important, I think. Oh, just and I was just going to add, though, to oh, that, the, the one thing then where I'm tying that together is MCT being very thin. Right. Also could be another factor, right? Because it was in that same conversation. Difference. Yeah. Carry yeah. oil could carry. speed up the release of a long acting compound. Yeah. I was fascinated by that. But please carry on. What were you going to say? Well, that, I mean, I, I'll, I'll go back to what I was going to say, too. But this, yeah. the thing is, like, you've got, we can, we can measure testosterone, but you can't, like, go to, you know, Quest Labs and get a lab to see, you know, what's my nandrone level, what's my, what's my uh, boldenone level, what are yeah. my, what are my levels? So you can't really even do a half life test. 
yeah. on those things to see where they're at, you know? Um, so, and it's, it could be all over the place. So you just kind of, you're, you're sh- totally shooting in the dark. The thing that like related to this original question though, that I think it's important to note um, is that, like you said, like with the toxicity, like, let's say, I mean, there's obvious things like, you know, anadrol that might screw up your, your, your appetite and make it difficult to get the food in that you need to grow. Um, I've just this general sense I have, you're not going to see this directly studied. It would be sort of unethical um, to do this, but there's a point of diminishing returns that may not be related to the dose response that theoretically would be in place based on the gear versus how much growth you could get from it. That's because of the side effects that come from the additives, the things we're talking about. So let's say, you know, theoretically, you know, you, you would, you would grow better on, um, two grams versus one gram, yeah. right? But it, it might be that when you go to two grams, the toxicity that you as an individual experience from everything in whatever it is that you're injecting, which you may not even know exactly, is such that one gram's your cutoff because the law of diminishing returns goes downwards Yeah, because the side effects on the toxicity interfere with any gains you're going to get because you can't eat, because you don't train very well, because you're just simply toxic. Yeah. Whatever's going on there. Like one of the things I'm looking into here is uh, IGF-1. Yes. Um, I'm eventually going to decide I'm going to do sort of an overview on IGF-1, the somatomedian hypothesis, and some kind of cool stuff related to that for John Meadows' site. Okay, awesome. But, you know, IGF-1, one thing I can say is it's a general marker for nutritional status. Right. right? So people who, yeah, it's, it's, that's why it's, it, it, it's something that can increase um, when you're overeating. Uh, or for instance, like one of the tests for, for, um, GH level is IGF one. Obviously people inject GH and they expect their IGF one to be higher. Right. But you can also have lowered IGF one simply by dieting. So like back in the day, guys who wanted to get a prescription for GH, you could just diet yourself down to, you know, close to contest levels and your, your negative calorie balance, negative energy balance and your IGF one levels will be really, really low. Yeah. And it's 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 not because you don't have high GH. You probably have high GH because GH levels will help are helping with fat oxidation. It's because your your nutritional status is so poor. So IGF one is something that, you know, in the somatomedian hypothesis comes from the liver. If your liver's toxed out, you're not gonna have very much IGF one. So whatever extent to whatever extent that is mediating muscle growth, you could be totally shooting yourself in the foot. If you've got orals and high levels of injectables with a bunch of solvents and other things in there that, that you don't metabolize very well, that talks your body out. So your best growth place could be very, 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 very low doses. Yeah. Right? That, and that makes total sense. Cause if you can stay healthy mm-hmm. and feel good, I mean, honestly, Absolutely. man, I think that's the foundation is a, a healthy body is going to do what we want. I use, and I mentioned this the other day, I feel like when I first got into bodybuilding, my thought was, that what we did was force our bodies to do our will. You know what I mean? Like you, right. you force it, command you corral you it. Yeah. Command your body to grow. And in reality, it's a matter of like trying to coax your body to want to do those things. And the way that we can do mm-hmm. that best is by being as healthy as possible. Really? Yeah. G- give it a good reason to comply rather yeah. than, than force it to do something. It, it's just not equipped to because it's toxic. It doesn't have the resources. What really. about this one? We got one here that's pretty good. He says, Sam says, Hey guys, I have a question about fat loss for natural guys. This would apply to guys on gear too, I'm sure. I'm around 190 pounds, 15% body fat at 5'9, and I want to do a cut. Would it be better to do an eight week cut 
or a much longer 16-week cut. So I'm assuming he means like push it hard for eight weeks and get there versus, mm. you know, diet a little slower for 16. Yeah, it's highly variable. Um, you can like you can push pretty hard and hold on to fat free mass. Um, depends on how trained you are, mm. how much that muscle mass is, you know, result of many, many years. And um, the best pros, the best natural guys, their diet is usually those guys go six months easy. Some will go nine months. The natties diet much longer because they don't they don't have the PEDs to help them hold on to muscle mass. Yeah. Um, so that's the way to go to have to be optimal if you wanted to go on stage. But if it's like, hey, you know, it's July. And by the time I get, you know, the summer's going to bathing suit season's going to be over. Beach season is going to be gone. And I want to be in shape, you know, at least so I can en enjoy it a little bit. Then eight weeks might be better, better suited. Um, yeah. And 15 percent depends on what that 15 percent looks like on him and where he wants to go with it. You know, if he yeah. wants to get to four percent, eight weeks is not going to cut it, you know. But if he wants to, you know, a pound a week, that whole general thing, that makes sense. You can do that for eight weeks and then see if he's satisfied. Yeah. Um, but you can, you can, I mean, kind of depends on what you want to want to look like. You can, you can drop a lot of fat and he's 190 pounds and 15%. He might be like, man, I'm so small. But if he lives in a warm state where he can wear a tank top yeah. and be shredded, <laughs> it's great. But if he's he's working, you know, a, a business job where he's got to wear, you know, button down shirt and long sleeves the whole time. And, and the only times he really sees himself is when he's in the gym. And even if he goes out, it looks like on the weekends, it looks kind of weird. He's wearing a tank top. Everyone's like, look at the meathead over there. Yeah. It may not suit whatever his goal is in terms of aesthetics. So kind of all depends on what you're wanting out of the cut as to how long you're going to make it happen. That's a good point. Let me ask you this. So, and, yeah. and we've we've looked into body fat before. I've seen your DEXA scan readings. We've bring, brought the pictures up. You've talked about how mm. different um, body fat calibers work and stuff. So if he's 15% at 195, I think he said, that's mm -hmm. 28.5 total pounds of fat. Um, yep. How much of that, let's say he decided like, I'm going to get peeled. How much mm -hmm. of that could an average human get rid of? Because I know there's some of that fat is going to be like in your brain, right? Like some of that fat we can't get rid of. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I mean, there was a guy, he didn't start at 15%, but there was a guy who fasted for like a year. Okay. He just did electrolytes and water. He was like 400 pounds and like that. And he went Ooh. down to 190. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, an interesting thing enough about that guy didn't have any loose skin at the end of it. Really? Because he was, yeah. My my thought is that he was catabolizing the protein in his skin for energy, right? Okay. He's got to get protein somewhere. So he was, you know, the thing that I think can work against someone who wants to hold muscle mass is you want to hold protein so you have higher protein. And that spares protein catabolism, but it does it in the muscle and other protein sources, which would be your skin. So the yeah. collagen and the connective tissue proteins in your skin. But so, I mean, if he just like not suggesting that he just go on a fast, like a total fast, but you know, people do like protein and veggies and they, and they go for it. And that's, you know, you can, but you're going to lose a ton of muscle. Um, you're, this is the case, like what they've done, like Stu Phillips has a, a study, I think they go with like 3.6 grams per kilogram protein for like four weeks. And these were untrained women and they actually gained muscle mass. Oh yeah. So the study. Yeah. You know, so, so that can actually happen. So like theoretically, like there's, you can go to 
tremendous extremes. You know, if your life depended upon it, like let's say you, you're, you know, you're some sort of, you know, crazy scenario where your whole family's been taken ransom and, and they yeah. say you need to drop 10 pounds of body fat in the next two weeks. Well, you could do it. Yeah. You just start, you just start walking, you know, as long as you have water and the electrolytes that are needed and vitamins and you could, you can, you can eat nothing, you know, ascetic monks have done that, you know, for, for centuries. Yeah. Right. Just go out in the jungle and you start hallucinating, right. You're running on ketones and the whole thing and you come back and you, you look like like Gandhi, you know, typically as he was portrayed in the in the movie. Right. right? So but you don't that's not what he's looking for. Right. And that's not a, a way to live. And you can't concentrate during your day. You can't exist like that in a normal situation. If you have relationships that you want to maintain. Yeah. You, know, you come in smelling like acetone, like right. And you're like your face is you know, <laughs> just a little zombie. Um, it's not going to not going to work. So it's really it's always to me, it's always about figuring out what what. This is all about trying to improve our quality of life in some way, shape, or form. So enjoying the process, which can mean that you're enjoying the grind as yeah, well. Right. So it may be like, you know what? I'm going to go for this. I'm, I'm taking this. I'm going to – eight weeks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just blow everyone's minds with this massive transmogrification, <laughs> right? It's yeah. It's going to just be out of this world and you just put the pedal to the metal and you make it happen. And even as a natural, you can kind of do that. Like you dot it, you don't miss a meal, your protein's high, you do everything you possibly can. And you sort of say, you know what? I'm hungry. This is good. I yeah. want to be hungry. That means that I'm dropping fat. Yeah. Um, a rule that I used to kind of have, which could be, ta- everything can be taken, you know, out of context and too, too far is that when I was, when I was sort of in the peak of a diet, if I'm not hungry, there's something wrong. Yeah. Basically even kind of after a meal, and then sort of in the peak of the off season, um, if I'm hungry, there's something wrong. Oh, really? Yeah, because like you're, you never really want you never really want to eat those meals. They're just on the meal plan because that's the amount of food that you've worked up to that you need to be eating in order to continue the progress. So every yeah. once in a while, it's like, oh, I get to be hungry. I'm going to skip a meal, so I'll have a meal that I actually enjoy eating yeah. to some degree. So, um, so and everything in between. So you can you know be very very like I want I want to pick an eight week diet that I can. Where you know I feel like I'm dieting and I'm dieting, but it, it, my my wife doesn't know I'm dieting. No one asks that I'm dieting. Like it's, it doesn't bother me. I don't have low energy levels, and right. I cut some fat, and it's noticeable. You know, it's reasonable. To you know, I'm going to go for the gusto. I'm going to see if I can get into you know, three weeks out from show shape, in in eight weeks. You, you mentioned then, uh, I was going to say you mentioned uh, the, the, uh, a study. I think it was of women that were given mm-hmm. was it amino acids or protein, and that they their, gained their protein muscle. levels were like. Yeah, they actually gave, they were newbies. They hadn't trained previously. They're previously untrained, but yeah, yeah, that can that can happen. Check it's this out. Recomp. I just showed mm-hmm. this to Ron and Dusty. I think a couple of weeks ago, and I I had it on my desktop because I just showed it to a client yesterday, and it's a it's it, an example I've been telling people because I'll get a question like, hey, for instance, this guy who messaged me yesterday, he's a client of mine. Um, you know. It, like general average guy composition, okay? And mm-hmm. his goal coming to me is to be a better bodybuilder. He wants to first lose fat, get into good shape. He asked me, can you tell me what percent yesterday he asked me? And he's, he's down a decent amount now, and, and he still has a decent amount of fat to go. He's eating high carbs still, and he's mm-hmm. still losing it, at least two pounds, about two pounds per week. So awesome. he's in great position to keep going. And my thought to him was, Man, your body's doing fantastic. We're eating plenty of carbs still. We're eating a lot of food. He's got you know protein five, six times a day. Um, 
I, I say we just keep doing this until it doesn't make sense to anymore. At some point, it's going to get harder. At some point, it's like, well, do we really need to get you leaner? Then from there, let's turn it around. But I said to him, I think you're still gaining muscle in a deficit right now. And this was the example. A client of mine sent this to me. This is from several years ago. Now, keep in mind, this guy, Vache, is natural, okay? Men's physique Mm -hmm. competitor. The left picture is the start of the diet. The right picture is shortly after the diet, after he's kind of like screwed off for a little while and and just Mm -hmm. filled back out. Maybe it was five weeks, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. So this wow. is, and he's a natural guy. He has to Look diet face, hard. <laughs> <laughs> Went to keto. Like, yeah, you know? baby. This is a keto diet. And in the course of, at the time, I'm going to guess I probably did a 16-week diet with him based off of when this was taken. Um, that's about the time frame I would have done with him. Uh, he definitely grew muscle in a deficit, in not to mention being natural. So mm-hmm. any of our guys that are listing that are on gear, like, there's no question in my mind, they're definitely still able to grow muscle to an extent. And especially factors like he does, you know, Vache isn't a huge guy. He had plenty of room to still grow, you know, uh, and, and I think there's a lot of factors to it. But I wanted to share that with you and share it with our audience, too, because it's a huge change considering he was in a deficit. I refer people to Chris Bearcat, who's, who's been on our podcast. here. Yes. And yeah. He did several. Um, he did Steve Hall, Hall's podcast about this topic about a year ago. It was kind of a big deal. People were kind of coming at him because he, he 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 authored a paper. He's the first author on a review on a review paper, and he's seen this in the, the data they've collected at the University of Tampa. There are many people who recomp like that during their training programs. It's not an like totally unheard of phenomenon, especially when you're a newbie to gain muscle and lose body fat at the same time. There are studies dating back like in the 1950s from PE classes where they just took students, PE students, and these are body composition studies where they're just first assessing, you know, how, how do we assess body fat? And their people are just, they're just starting jogging programs. These are previously untrained students, college students, and they just start them on running programs. They're not even lifting weights and they can gain fat-free mass and lose body fat yeah. just, just from starting exercising. Um, there are studies with, with army rangers, so some of the most impressive ones I've seen. Um, where they where they measure their body fat b- before and after their boot camp, whatever okay. it is that they call it, I can't remember. Um, I, there may be a SEAL training, but I remember Army Rangers. I think there's two studies that I recall that are out there, and like, like it's they're gaining like 10, 12 pounds of muscle, and they're dropping like eighteen pounds of fat on average. Wow! Like they're just totally metamorphosizing. Um, yeah. So it's it's a totally and I mean those guys. I mean, sometimes like I've heard stories, I've talked to guys, you know, people have asked me about this. Like there are, there is PED use, of course, in the military. Sure. It's it's kind of a, it's a thing like, that's a whole other topic. It'd be great to maybe bring someone on who's got more insight to this than I do. But um, you want to be careful. Like these, I've I've talked to guys before, like, you know, say, can you help me figure this out? They want, they're going to know they're going to go to become a Navy SEAL or what have you. And they've gotten the best shape they possibly can. And they want to have as much muscle mass as they can. So they've, gotten a little extra help from some stuff and then they're like well but i'm gonna fucking crash you know 10 weeks in because i can't get my get my gear and in some cases they figured out ways to do that so some of these studies are old enough that i think that probably wasn't what was happening but those army ranger studies they're doing stuff like okay like go out in the woods you got 10 weeks you, these are the things you got to do like build a fort here and we're going to come try to kill you here this time and you just have to forage figure out something to eat you, you got a bow and an arrow or whatever your gun 
you know, you're going to have to cook a deer now and again, and they just, they have to live off the land yeah. and they're hiking around all over the place and they have tremendous changes in body composition, fat gain or fat loss and muscle gain simultaneously, basically. Yeah. So, um, it's totally possible. That's awesome. What he, that, what he did. I said, look at his face. Like he was, he's so happy. Like his, I mean, his posture was changed. He was like, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. His, you know, so, yep. Like yeah. he's got that, like, you know, it's just like, yeah. Um, you know, Jordan Peterson is renowned for having spoken about lobsters and how lobsters posture changes when they've been defeated or not. You've heard this. Oh, no, I haven't. Talk about, yeah, it's, you can look up just Jordan Peterson lobster. Um, and when lobsters have, a, I'm totally bastardizing the, the phenomenon. But, sure. And it happens with dogs too, of course. Um, but your posture and Cesar Milan does with the dogs. Like if you have a dog that's like kind of scared, it'll tuck its tail, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And we as humans, we kind of like, oh, okay. We tuck our tails in our, in our body posture. Yeah. You know? But you can just, but the, the mind will follow the body as well as the body following the mind. So if you huh. just stand up straight, this is what Peterson was like, stand up straight, you know? Yeah. Then you will act like you're standing up straight. Right? I like that, man. I like that a lot. Yeah. That's cool. And in his case, he's standing up straight. He's like, yeah, I just got something done, baby. Yeah. You can see it in the way. I mean, he's he's posing. You can see his belt's activated because he's kind of doing a front relax there from the side. Like you can see he's holding himself differently. But his posture, his facial expression is totally transformed. Um, that's because his mindset transformed while he transformed his body. And that's what I think is what's really really cool about bodybuilding at its at its root is that it's it's not just a pure physical phenomenon it's it's body mind spirit to be to use that sort of trite expression but it's all rolled into one if you're doing it right at least in my mind let's see we'll have to wrap this thing up pretty quick here we're, we're past okay. an hour now scott but I, let's see if we can sure. pull in uh one more here i know that right. tim was waiting on us and sorry guys we couldn't get to everything um tim says uh what rate of body fat excuse me body weight gain for an enhanced bodybuilder do you think should have post show to get back to your pre-prep weight and what rate do you think you should shoot for after that wow i wish there could be like just simple like you know one word answers to that so leave it up for a second because i can sure. kind of break this down um so after show the kind of the first thing is restoration of water for many people so you yeah. may have to just get some water on um i just did for those who are interested i just put out a thing it just got um posted on john meadow's site uh post show um reverse reverse supplementation after a show so the kind of the the other side of reverse dieting after a show so the rate of return to pre-prep weight will depend upon how the prep went hmm. and what happened to your body composition during it. Right. Um, and as well, whether you're a natural or you're enhanced competitor and whether you're staying on some amount of enhancements. Hmm. Yeah. So the typical sort of smart thing to do if you're enhanced and I can kind of presume most people here are not everybody. I'm going to all address everything. Both sides um, is, you know, you're not going to keep your orals in that you had in for six weeks before your show. You take those out, but you right. might maintain some form of enhancement. Right. So that if you did lose some muscle mass, that can come back fairly rapidly in the next six or eight weeks or four to eight weeks, let's say, um, in someone who may have lost some size. Mm -hmm. Now, if you if you didn't lose any muscle mass. Right. And I mean, you did a really nice job of dieting down um, once you've got your water weight back into place and you've kind of come out of the hole 
Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes, like, you can be in this spot where you're so dieted down. This is especially bad if people have been on, like, stimulants, fat burners that have suppressed their appetite. Like, okay, I'm going to drop everything all at once, and, like, now your appetite is just sky Ooh. high. Yeah. And you want to, you know, you're wanting to eat everything you can see. Um, backing out of all those things makes sense. If obviously, you want to take care of your health. Don't just stay on clean for the next three months for your appetite, for the appetite suppression effects. But um, be kind to yourself, too, because otherwise, you know, as you know, you can just eat yourself right back into a higher body fat level, lickety split, if you just let yourself go. So um, if you're in a situation where you kept your muscle mass and you've gotten out of that hole, which might mean like getting yourself to, you know, six, seven, eight percent body fat. So you're just not entirely food focused. Mm-hmm. Um, then then you can go really, really slow because you got that muscle mass back already. So you putting on a pound, you could be six weeks back. And now let's say you're at 10 percent body fat, mm-hmm. same amount of muscle mass because you've got some body composition estimate. Your strength levels will tell you something at that point. You can do a DEXA, as I kind of talk about, or maybe you've done skin folds and you know, like, okay, my body weight's back to back to 220. My skin fold total was 40 when I was at 220 when I started, but now my skin fold is only 20 yeah. at 220. So I've got much less body fat. There's no reason to just like go hog wild. You've got muscle mass and now you can eat slowly because you only gain muscle mass at a certain rate. You're at a certain P ratio you can gain. So the pound a week type of thing makes sense. And that's when you would just sort of scale things back. So, but if you're someone who, you know, lost a bunch of muscle mass, you're going to expect, so this is sort of the flip side of the law of diminishing returns, that you, that muscle mass will come back more rapidly with muscle memory, yeah. right? So, like, I keep on forgetting the guy who, who you had on the show who had, was like hit 300 because he had to, and then he, by the time he dieted down, he was at 220. Oh, right? um, Gary Turner. Gary Turner, right? Or, or you're someone who did something like that and you just, and you're, now you lost a lot of muscle mass, right? Like just, you just, you tried to just diet yourself too rapidly. You're going to expect rap, more rapid gains in, in body weight because you're going to have a, you should have a pretty good P ratio unless you've just like, just thrown all your PEDs out that may have been involved. Like unless you just go crazy with backing out supplement wise and food wise, you can expect some more rapid rate of muscle gain because you've got muscle memory helping with you getting back to where you once were. Yeah. I like to use, if you're not doing body composition, you can use your strength levels. A lot of people who have done that and lost a bunch of size, like one of the things they might do is like, oh, I got to, I have to burn more fat. Right. So they up their reps to try to expend energy during their weight training sessions, which I don't, it's not really a good idea. Um, that's not the best way to drop body fat in my mind. That's, yeah. You don't create much of a caloric deficit with weight training in general. So you can, you can expect more rapid weight gain there, um, but you have to be careful. So it depends. The main thing to kind of watch, and this is we've, if people can find, maybe they can Google Minnesota um, starvation study. Oh, yeah. Um, we've talked about that here on the show, um, is that there seems to be um, a lipostat um, and sort of a, um, a – a musculostat or a fat. So getting both your body fat back to where it might be is, is important for regulating your, your appetite as well as getting your fat free mass. And one thing that you can, you can glean from that study, which didn't involve training is that, um, the way that study was conducted, individuals at one point were allowed to free feed. And what they did when they free fed was it, it appeared from the data that they ate themselves back to their original fat free mass level. Hmm. But what happened 
because they were just free feeding. Like they had, they held them off for a little while after the starvation period. Yeah. Like, okay. They're just going to keep you under control. And they said, okay, go for it. And <laughs> they kept eating in excess until they got their fat free mass muscle mass back. But because they did it so rapidly, they just piled the fat free mass can only turn so quickly, but fat mass can, can, can pile on really, really rapidly. Yeah. They ate themselves to the yo-yo basically back up to higher levels of body fat. So you got to watch for that. Um, so you got to find a happy medium. So knowing your fat free mass and where that is, whether you lost it during the prep and how it's coming back, strength, body composition will give you an idea of the mirror course too, but it's hard because your head's all screwed up, man. That's why he's oh, wanting yeah. to know this. I think you can't really say, because you're losing what you just worked so hard for. You're, the mirror is just like telling you, like, I'm looking worse and worse and worse sometimes. So you just kind of got to look at getting the water back so you fill out and then look at your fat-free mass when you've got equal hydration status and use that to guide your weight gain. Um, and if you're gaining really rapidly and your fat-free mass is still lacking, then probably that's fat. If you gain your fat-free mass back already and your body fat's low, that's an awesome position to be in. Take it, take it easy. You're, 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 you're going rapidly, and the, probably the faster you try to accelerate things, the more fat you're going to gain relative to the muscle that you're gaining as you continue forward. So it's very oh, yeah. much an individual thing, I think. That makes sense. Well, I want to say thank you to everybody who's hanged out, hung out with us live here. I saw Kuba was here with us for a minute. Uh, I don't oh, know sweet. if he's still watching, but Kuba was watching at the beginning of the show. I know this is probably like toward the tail end of their workout. So they were probably... Uh, right. You know, just getting done with their training and getting their food in yep. and stuff. Uh, you heading back to hang out with your German people today at all, or what are you doing? I, in a half an hour, there is actually another meetup that I can do. Another, <laughs> another group, so I might have a, little, have a little bit of lunch, and then I might do that. Awesome. Well, like I said, appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, of course, you can go to byobbcoach.com, <laughs> and you can get Scott's book. Uh, or you can go to uh, Amazon and get the hardcover, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. It'll literally take you through your off-season. Actually, it'll it'll help you create a plan for your off-season, then carry that out, carry out your contest prep, figure out how to peak, take you all the way into the show and your rebound. It literally covers everything. So if you want to do things yourself, you can be your own bodybuilding coach. And uh, you like what I did that, Scott? That was like a good little, uh, it, good little ad. That was very nice. And check out truenutrition.com, our title sponsor. Guys, they have they have supported our shows like long before anybody else even knew who we were. So thank you very much, True Nutrition. You guys are awesome. Use our code THINKTHERE. They've got high-quality supplements that Scott and I both 100% trust. Dante Absolutely. puts in the bag what he says he's going to put in the bag. There's no BS there whatsoever. Let me know if you have any questions about them. Uh, supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. Uh, you guys can get great deals over there. They have deals that change week to week, like overstock, label changes, short dated, stuff like that. Uh, Amino Asylum, use our code THINK. You get all sorts of goodies over there. You guys know all about them. I can't give you the actual website on YouTube, but definitely check them out. Strong Sports Nutrition, for those of you in the UK. And, uh, you know, I'll put our uh, Instagrams below. Definitely follow Scott because he's always coming up with something cool. Scott, anything else you want to add? I just heard a vielen Dank für den Livestream. Vielen Dank für diejenigen, die zugehört haben. Feine Freude. That means thanks for watching. It was it was really nice. And well, that's lovely. it. Bis zum nächsten Mal. Till next time. <laughs> we are still closing out. There we go.